Damien Abraham of the band Fucked Up has a podcast called Turned Out a Punk. As of this recording, Damien's about 25 episodes deep. I was the podcast's third guest. It's a podcast that focuses on people's personal history with punk rock. On it, I talk about how I got into punk and how that music specifically has affected my life. There is a quick moment where I touch on a feeling I've always felt since I was a teenager into my postgraduate years. A constant feeling of being out of place. When I'd be at a rock or metal show, I'd feel more punk rock. When I'd be at a punk rock show, I'd feel more like a rocker. And despite my getting into various kinds of musics and being able to hang in more than one scene, I always felt out of place no matter where I was. This feeling was briefly touched on when I brought Bjorn Street, singer of the band Soilwork, onto this podcast not too long ago, episode 93, to discuss his AOR rock project, Night Flight Orchestra, and how, despite the death metal stylings he's known for in Soilwork, he had another burning passion in the realm of rock. Seems like I'm not the only one constantly longing for the other side of the fence. And no matter where I stand, the grass will always be greener someplace else. Now, if push comes to shove and I was forced to pick sides, I'd have to say that at the end of the day, just like the song says, I'm a rocker. And I'm a roller too. At this point, it's sunk into my DNA. I love punk rock and I love heavy metal, but I'm a rocker. Still, when I look at those two scenes, I do get envious. Despite their differences sometimes very wide differences, punk rock and heavy metal have very defined, organized scenes, painstakingly grouped and categorized within each genre, sometimes with accompanying ideologies, infrastructures that can harbor and support an underground. You may scoff at the minutiae of it all, but I wish this was the case for rock and roll. Through the mid to late 90s, there almost was something similar for rock and rollers, Garage Rock. Garage Rock, with its punk rock leanings, helped bring about an underground scene to a certain side of rock and roll that it desperately needed. Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, the 90s garage rock scene sort of folded onto itself after it inevitably went overground with the hives and the white stripes. Our band, too, managed to go overground, getting played on rock radio, and bidding farewell to the garage rock underground that spawned us. Despite bands like The Hives and even The White Stripes sticking with elements of their original scene, the choice was easily made for our band when we felt cast out for our mainstream advances. Once the garage rock scene faded from our band's sphere, and coincidentally from general prominence, it became very lonely and isolating without a scene to feel the support and community other bands in genres like metal and punk automatically receive. Rock and roll, contemporary rock and roll, may be a genre, but there's no accompanying scene. There's no accompanying grassroots, supportive infrastructure. Each band playing rock and roll today is like their own island. And despite it now being a very underground form of music today, a shadow of its former glory, it still is yet to shake off the acclaim of its forefathers. That's why contemporary metal and punk can never feel too dated or rehashed, because newer bands aren't competing with legacies as large as Jimi Hendrix or John Lennon, Little Richard, or Led Zeppelin. Well, if you can't beat them, join them. Since I don't feel or see the same kinship 
community, and culture affixed to the music I identify with, I often end up pitching my tent beside musics that do, namely heavy metal. Let the rest of the world think of metalheads as a synonym for meathead. We know the truth. Metalheads are some of the smartest, well-spoken, funniest people you can find. And when good conversation is at a premium while out on the road, I find myself gravitating to metalheads like a dog on Alpo. We met Vancouver-based heavy metal band Three Inches of Blood 10 years ago while we were out on tour in America. They were with Six Feet Under touring with them, and we had just finished our tour with Turbo Negro. And this show in Kansas City was a routing gig to get back home. Guitarists Justin Hagberg and Shane Clark came to our gig after their set. It was nice to see some fellow Canadians out on the road. After that, I would go see them when I could, whether it was in London, England, Toronto, or even when we played together in Copenhagen, Denmark, for the Copenhagen Festival. I found all the guys in their camp easy to hang with. Both bands have even shared tour managers. As someone who doesn't really hang very much with a lot of bands while touring, the Three Inches of Blood guys have a permanent AAA pass wherever I am. The world of heavy metal is made up of a bunch of self-appointed experts, constantly chin-scratching, finger-pointing, handing down judgment to every move every band makes. It's almost like a continual ticker tape of mostly negative opinions. I, too, am guilty of taking part in this most metallic pastime. And maybe I've got a biased blindfold on, but to me, three inches of blood is exactly what heavy metal is all about. They are a genre-defining band and can be used to describe to the layperson what the music looks like, sounds like, and feels like. They are the picture you find in the dictionary when you look up the term heavy metal. No deaf heaven pitchfork haircuts, no slacker boy too cool for school, just long hairs with raging guitars. Recently, while out on our Canadian tour, I managed to catch up with Three Inches lead vocalist Cam Pipes. Cam and I have been talking about doing this episode for almost a year now. And when I saw Vancouver was to be a stop, I emailed him right away and we both freed up our schedules. There are traffic sounds in the background of this episode. That's because we recorded it in the back of our tour bus during the day. And if you can hear sounds that resemble that of a dog, well, that's because Angus was also present during the podcast. Angus being Cam's very well-behaved French bulldog. I'd like to thank Skull Candy Headphones and Blue Mic Microphones for supporting the podcast with our much-needed gear. Thank you for listening to this podcast, too. I swear, when someone comes up to me and says they listen to the podcast, I am I'm genuinely surprised. Seriously. I do this for myself. Anyone else who wants to come along for the ride is welcome, but I do this for myself. Also, thank you to everyone who has left a rating and or a review in the various iTunes stores. Thank you very much. If you haven't, please do, if you like what you hear. I'd also like to thank Chino Locos Restaurants at Chino Locos for making delicious burritos. I like them because I want to eat a fish burrito, and when I do, I want it stuffed with chow mein noodles. Okay, here we go. Cam Pipes of Three Inches of Blood is on the podcast, and it starts now. The Tango Joe's podcast is the best around. They play the kiddies, take us, go out, tell them for free. I'm sad, glad I like to sometimes. Take me in from fucked up. Stop playing, hang down, down. It's the one and only. 
your boy, Danko Jones. Yo, motherfuckers. You like Kiss? I love fucking Kiss. Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley are the fucking shiznit. Man, and I also love my punk rock, too. You know, that fucking Henry Rollins is a badass motherfucker. You know who else is a bad motherfucker? Danko Jones. That OG lay down that pimped out podcast like no other. He loves his kiss and black flag. I mean, I love that fucking Danko Jones podcast. And if you don't like that Danko Jones podcast, go fuck yourself. Hey, Cam. Nice to have you on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, um, we are in the back of our uh, bus in Vancouver on, uh, what is it, Seymour Street? Mm -hmm. And uh, you might be able to hear the uh, cars going by. Um, it's a tight squeeze to get yeah. in on the bus today. It's a really busy for a Saturday for some reason. There's a, there's a Def Leppard concert going on. Oh, yeah, that's right. We're competing against <laughs> uh, Def Leppard. Well, at least you're not competing against the playoffs games. So. We're not. No playoff hockey tonight. Okay. It was last night. Okay, good. Because that'll just... Yeah. Def Leppard we can handle, but uh -huh. we can't handle <laughs> Vancouver hockey. Um, so, um, we've talked about doing this for months. Yeah. I think I hit you up last time I was going to be in Toronto, and but you were away. Yeah, we were Yeah. And, there's, and we were out with Death Angel. and How was that? It was awesome. That is like... Being in a rock band, we never get to, and, and being in a rock band and, and growing up as a metal guy, uh -huh. we hardly ever, it's happened a few times, but hardly ever get to do tours like that, which would make me like cream my pants. How was it with DA? It was amazing. I think the the lineup was pretty solid. Like uh, uh, Revocation was on that tour as well, and uh, Battlecross. Oh, okay. So it was, it was, it was pretty solid. Yeah. Uh, a good time with those guys. Yeah, that's uh, the, uh, they're, I've made it very known. They're one of my favorite metal bands of all time. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, I, I dream of like touring with those guys. Yeah. And you guys do quite a number of those tours with now that no bands break up anymore. They're all out there like it was 1989. Yeah. Have you managed to uh, tour with a lot of those kinds of bands? Um, well, we've toured with, we always seem to be like the odd band out in a way on a lot of tours, um, especially early on, but, uh, I think just as time goes on and you get more established in the scene, you're kind of like, uh, you don't even really think about it much anymore. Like, yeah, like, you know, Death Angel, they're more the thrash band and, you know, I mean, we've got thrash elements here and there, but, sure. um, it, it it really doesn't even matter anymore like who plays what it's all it's all metal really yeah uh -huh. well that's cool um now when when you first approached me to do this podcast i'm gonna get get in there um the first thing that came to my mind is many of the discussions we've had in the past have to do with dungeons and dragons you have three inches of blood you know a lot of the imagery rests on kind of like a fantasy D D world and then lo and behold i meet the guys in the band and they're actually avid players how deep is your D D playing 
Um, do people know about this about yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, it's it's a pretty well known thing about me. Um, a lot of people assume that Three Inches of Blood lyrics are based on campaigns, my D&D campaigns, but they're not. <laughs> I've never written a single song that's based on any D and D experience. I mean, I've got uh, polyhedral dice tattoos, but you know, nothing. Yeah. Uh, nothing really. Maybe. I mean, the, yeah. There's definitely the fantasy element, so I guess it's it's easy to think that oh yeah he all the songs are about D and D like you, you, I mean when I say deep you you have you have people that come over to your place that you don't know or it's not just your buds it, right it, we used to play at my house um, that was some years ago but now we play at um, there's there's two guys who I play with that they kind of alternate uh, as DM and they run their own campaigns yeah. But we play at one of their houses now. We have for a few years now. Who but wants? It's, but it's all basically been the same people. Oh, okay. Um, but some have kind of like come and gone, and right. uh, now now there's like only like a few kind of people that I play with that are still there from when I first started. I only started playing like uh, 10, 11 years ago. Really? So what so got I didn't you get into, into it? it? Until I was like almost in my thirties. What got you into it? I don't know. I'd always been aware of it, and I've always been into fantasy stuff, but I'd never really taken the plunge into you know, pen and paper gaming before. Um, but it was an old roommate. He's one of the guys who, who I, I play with occasionally still. Um, and he's older than me, but I guess he's played it most of his life, and I just saw the miniatures and stuff he had, and uh, he started explaining it, and I was like, yeah, I, you know, that sounds interesting. I start... I want to try and get into it, so I started playing, and we played like the later editions, like three point five, and which came out in uh, I, don't know, I guess early two thousands, something like that. It, it was kind of new at the time. I started playing like two thousand four. Because I my only I only know the Gary Gygax old AD and D Dungeons and Dragons way of doing. Yeah, things. and that's what I play now. Like we okay. we started playing three point five edition. I really like that edition. I'd I'd play that in a heartbeat again if I could. But what is the difference between the new D and D? There's different. Um, I don't know. I th- I think some people, especially the guys who are played Dungeon Master, would uh, would think that the newer editions are way too convoluted. Whereas the older editions, there's simpler, right? Simpler and easier for the DMs to kind of uh, uh, I don't know, referee. I guess. Um, the big difference I think find with the older versions is you get experience points uh, from treasure. Yeah, a, I remember. When the yeah. newer versions, you don't. I noticed that about the new edition. There's higher XP for fighting battles and stuff, but none for treasure, I guess. And that was the biggest thing I noticed when we reverted back to playing AD&D, which is essentially what we're on now. I mean, our, the guys I play with kind of modify the rules a little bit, but the the base rule set is, uh, you know, A, D, and D from like late seventies. Right. So we've got tons of those. We had to go on eBay and get find the... like the old players' handbooks. Just like, really? Yeah. I've got all that. They're hard to find now, but I've got a couple old ones now, like a couple of different. Uh, I got the covers. D- Deities and demigods. Yeah, uh, the uh, fiends. Fiend folio. Uh-huh. I actually found that. <laughs> that was the first D and D book I owned. Was a Fiend folio. It was before I ever played our old practice space we had, um, not not too far from here actually. Right. Um, 
what band we we shared a space with had these couple of D and D books just lying around, and our jam space was such a mess and clutter. We ended up picking up these books, and it's funny we would use them. For, uh, we got like T-shirt designs ideas out of them <laughs> awesome. for a couple. Not we didn't use too many, but right. a couple times like, oh, that'd make cool shirt designs. <laughs> we we just grab these books and yeah. like, photocopy them. Right, like so one of those fiend folios, like I actually like showed to the guys I play with, and like. They would even use the the old like AD and D fiend folio, um, just as a reference. Even though at the time we were playing three point five edition, so because um, you know they they always like to modify things the way they wanted to. I think most groups do, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and now today, I actually went to that uh, comic book store uh, right next to the uh, Commodore Ballroom. Oh, it's a uh, Golden Age. Thing, it? Yeah, it's got all Gold collectible. Yeah, um, and I did get something. I got an old Steve Jackson game oh, called Ogre. Oh, crazy! And the the selling point on the on the packages in 1977, it was put out as 2.95. Today, it's still 2.95, oh. but of course, it's Canada, so it's yeah. about for four bucks. Crazy! And those Steve Jackson games were like these little miniature um, kind of art. RPG games that were all all in one like uh, Car Wars. Mm -hmm. He had, and I thought they might have had Car Wars, but he had this Ogre game, which I look forward to playing. Do you play any other games? Um, you know, I play the odd video game here and there. No, I mean like but, other but role playing. No, just D and D. I mean, I like RPG based video games, but other right. than uh, non video game stuff, no D and D has always been the one. And but I'm glad you mentioned Steve Jackson because growing up. I read I read those old fighting fantasy books. I love those. Like religiously. With those choose your own adventure ones? Kind of, yeah. He, he took it to the next level where yeah. you, you, you can incorporate spells, right? Um I guess. Maybe that was a little later on. I was probably moved on to different material by the time I got a little older, but uh, um yeah, I like I read all those fighting fantasy Ian Livingstone, Steve Jackson. It was either one or the other would write them, or both sometimes. Right, yeah, yeah, and I remember I, those guys. I, and, and those books were great reference for, for uh, t-shirt designs as well. Oh, right. And, and even some uh, some tattoos all a bit. Really? Yeah, I have a couple of tattoos that were from some of those fighting fantasy books. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's amazing. I remember I posted, now my memory's getting jogged, I, I found, because what I do, especially in Canada, I hit the bookstores, the used bookstores, and they always have like a fantasy section where they, some guys unloaded all, someone's mom unloaded all his D&D uh, &D books from when he was 15, and they're all sitting there. Yeah. And uh, I got the, I found this Battletech book, which was this oh, robot book, and okay. I, I tweeted you, and I go, if I buy this, will you play it with me? And I, I I tagged you in the, in the Instagram post. Is it a post. D20, like? A module like it was a it was the uh, player's manual. Okay. The BattleTech player's manual. It was like you know the robots. Yeah. Like it's D and D, but it's like robot fighting okay, or whatever. Yeah. And so there's it's also like a, so, so just a sci-fi. Yeah. Uh, fantasy module. Yeah, and okay. there's also um, I think it's called Heroes, which is like the superheroes mm -hmm. RPG game. And then yesterday we were in Kamloops, and I went to this bookstore. And I saw this uh, manual for this role-playing game. I can't remember what it's called, but it was just about mutant animals, like in this post-apocalyptic oh, okay. Earth, 
all the animals mutate, and that's the characters that you become, like a skunk. Is it a mutant future? It might be. Yeah. Yeah. A play, yeah. Another guy who plays with us, um, he, he ran his own campaign for a little while, and it was based on mutant future. I'm assuming it's the same one you saw, but uh, yeah, it was it was supposed to be like post-apocalyptic, but. Uh, or it's like, no, yeah, it's like way in the future, but some, there's been some like calamity and everything's basically gone back to like the caveman kind of yeah. technology. Although and you're like there a are skunk. remnants of a ancient race that had this advanced technology <laughs> and then that kind of stuff. And there's like, yeah, mutant kind porcupines of and there are mutant yeah. like characters like you can play. Uh, you've played that game. Yeah. Like I, I don't. I'm not that well versed in it. Like I didn't read the, the the source material that he was really going off of. Right. But I've just kind of glanced at it, and he's given us the, you know, a, a, a brief synopsis of what the whole uh, story is about. But, right. Uh, yeah, I'm curious. I wonder if it's the same one you saw. Yeah, I I'm wish, sure there's lots of stuff like that. I wish I bought it. I was like, you know, I talked myself out of it because mm -hmm. I'm like, what am I doing? On the book, on the cover, was there? Was there like a weird kind of hokey, like cartoony kind of drawing? Of a lion. Drawing? There's a lion on uh, them. Okay. Like a the... weird lion with wings or something. Huh. It's just the weirdest uh, one. I remember the one I saw, there was kind of, uh, it was like a collage of different like creatures or whatever. It's got to be the was, same. like a goat spider. Yeah. Like... And then like some kind of like Arnold Schwarzenegger Terminator kind of looking robot guy. There can't be two yeah. of these games, man. If, if There's got to be It's probably one. the same it's thing. It's got to be this. Then I think that's Mutant Future. Uh, yeah, so. now maybe. I, I remember the goat spider. I should have got it. Guy. I should have got the book. <laughs> it was just the weirdest thing ever. Oh, next time I'm in Kamloops, I suppose. That'd be a good name. Goat spider. Yeah. See, I there mean. There wasn't already goat snake and, I don't know. Um, a, a porcupine skunk? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
because there was so much prep work involved getting shots and cameras it, and stuff lined up and they didn't want to have to have to mess with our gear and all that kind of stuff and they ended up having jim brewer open for him which i guess is not that's just a guy in a microphone so it's not yeah. a big deal but, but was he uh, with his band or something i don't think so uh we went to uh uh one we went to the second show um they kind of like were like sorry here, here's some tickets for the show. So <laughs> watch, cool. watch what you're supposed yeah, to. Yeah, watch what you could have been <laughs> opening to, which, you know, in a way, it's kind of like uh, I didn't see it as a slap in the face. I thought at least they may, tried to make up for it somehow. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's it out awesome. of the band's hands. It's exactly, not, it's not it's the like guys. we didn't we didn't feel any grudges. We weren't mad at Metallica or yeah, of course. Talk them online. No, no, because no. I'm sure that's that's probably hey, buddy, that, uh, they. Uh, <laughs> It was probably not really their call, so whatever. Uh, uh, it was cool. We got to see the show, and that's kind of was the appeal of it. It's like, oh, we're being in amongst Metallica's. You were an extra again. You're yeah. in the movie well, again. Okay, well, it goes even deeper than that for for us, um, because they held a third show, which was not. They didn't. It wasn't like. Through ticket, I don't know how they did it, but they did a third show. They sold tickets for five bucks, and it was just for supplementary filming. And they only sold seats in the lower bowl of the arena. Right for like close-ups and stuff. And this brings me back actually, because you mentioned extra work. Um, our me and again uh, our two guitar players who were you know were both extras with the same agency or whatever. We got hired again as extras so we actually got paid to go to the third metallica show and be in the crowd and they would move us from uh one part of the arena up in the stands and then they moved us down onto the floor and between it, it wasn't like a, a normal show they were taking breaks between songs for like five ten minutes and sometimes they would play half songs just to get uh it, it was all just to like Kind just of cool, e get though. extra footage so it was kind of neat yeah so in the end it kind of balanced itself out yeah. you got a paycheck out of it we we went to the a, a free well for us it was free full show it right. was awesome and then we got to go to the third show which was a very unique thing because it, it was more like yeah it was more like they were just jamming all the time we got to hear them hit bum notes and stuff it was really awesome. like yeah watching kirk hammett uh uh do, hit a couple of bum notes in the solo in one and hit, seeing his face go oh, like knowing he hit a shitty note and you know Lars going off time more than usual and so it was neat for that that's pretty cool now did you get to meet him like did, was there anything like that no unfortunately not yeah yeah okay because I, I think I even tweeted about it when I heard about it mm -hmm. I think someone told me or I read about you guys getting knocked off the show, and I was like, yeah. "Hey, what gives?" Yeah, uh, Met Fan Club or whatever the <laughs> hell they're to the Twitter. What's going on? Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, a lot of people don't realize like Metallica is the. No matter what you say, you, you know, as metalheads growing up, that's the that's the band to play with. Yeah, I th I think it wasn't a huge bummer in hindsight. As, as much as it probably could have been for for someone who was maybe would have been in the same situation as us but yeah. uh, um, 
it, it, it doesn't feel as bad because years ago, uh, I'm talking like 2001 or two, maybe three, uh, we were supposed to open for Slayer in London, England. We'd never been overseas before. We were supposed to open two shows for Slayer. Um, it was supposedly confirmed, but then all of a sudden wasn't happening for us. They, they put Lamb of God on the opening slots instead. And we like looked like idiots because we'd gone on our website saying, yeah, we're opening for Slayer. You know, even our manager like apologized to us. I'm sorry. Like, I don't know what happened. Uh, so that was like a huge, uh, you know, I was really choked from that. And I think maybe the having the Metallica thing happen was maybe a little easier to take. After because this. it had kind of happened before. Um, I had learned not to take things for granted after that because uh, we got to open for Maiden in California at a one-off, and I was like, okay, is this for real? I mean, it, it happened. It did end up happening. That's pretty so, cool, man. So, But I was really like skeptical, like, okay, is this happening? And our manager's like, yeah, it's happening for sure. I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> like, I am not, I'm not announcing anything until this is like, like, on paper you're at like, sound this check is sign. You, yeah is this really gonna yeah <laughs> um but i correct me if i'm wrong but you guys were on the bill for the first big four show though right were you not on were, didn't you play at least a few of those big four shows okay yeah we did one of them uh sonosphere in switzerland in, you did uh, one of them at least 2010 I whenever guess, that happened was? yeah I don't know when that happened. I can't remember. Yeah, I think it was 2010 or... But yeah, you guys... Yeah, and that was kind of when it was just happening. That's um, pretty cool, because I saw your name there, and I was like, wow, fuck. Oh, we didn't that. play until 2 in the morning, like, after everyone had left. It what? Was, it was crazy. Like, Metallica played, and it was amazing. Uh, but then they had still had bands play on the second stage after... Like, I think Volbeat played right after Metallica on the second stage. And oh, okay. The, and then Amon Marth, and then us, and then there was another band after us. But by the time yeah. uh, Volbeat were done, that like, this field of, like, 50,000 people was fucking empty. I think we played to 100 people, maybe. It was raining. <laughs> we were we were so choked, because we get there, and we look at our time slot, we're like, 2 a.m.? What? What? Right. <laughs> like, and then we look at oh, and all the other bands are playing, and we're just like, oh, oh well, we're here. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it was, we made, there's shows where you get there, and especially when you first start out, and there's like five people, and you're just like, oh, well. And you kind of have a different kind of fun with it than you'd have at a, a regular show. And yeah. you just kind of like, you make the best of it, and you yeah. still have fun, and that's what's the most important thing. Yeah. You did see the show, though. Did you see oh, yeah. the Big Four show? Yeah. Um, we came a little later in the day, so we didn't see... Anthrax? Uh, we missed Anthrax. We caught... I think we caught a little bit of Slayer. Um, I, I don't think we saw Megadeth. Um, but Motorhead played right before Metallica. We saw that. That was cool. Really? Mm-hmm. I thought yeah, it would the, be... The Big Four bands were all kind of spaced out. Like, Anthrax was way earlier in the day. Um, Megadeth is a little bit later. They didn't do them consecutively. Oh, okay. Oh. I think on the main stage, I think it went like Slayer, Motorhead, Metallica. Right. Something like that. Oh. 
And then, of course, they were going back and forth, like, main stage, second stage, which were right next to each other. Right, right. But uh, I, after Motorhead, I just kind of stayed side stage for a while because, and they had this kind of, like, viewing gallery almost, kind of up these stairs, just kind of up above the stage on uh, on one of the, on the, one of the side fills. Mm-hmm. And uh, just kind of hung out there because after a while, they weren't letting anyone in that area. So yeah. we're just kind of, like... Got you stuck there. Stuck there, and it was like it was cool. We got a lot, we got some nice shots. And that's cool. Well, you know, awesome. yeah, that's. And yeah. it wasn't like their arena show, like where you've got in the round. Like they actually had this, you know, big just static like stage setup, but they had right. the big uh, at the festival. Kind of a big wall, like it was almost like a mirrored kind of uh, diamond plate or whatever it is. Yeah. I don't know. And then had these ramps they go up to. There's, massive screens. We've played we've played Rock and Ring in Germany mm-hmm. uh I think three times that when they've been playing. Yeah. And there was one the last time was in two thousand and eight and um I was side stage I got side stage on Metallica and I'm watching um I'm watching them play. No, am I watching them play? I can't remember because No, I am watching Metallica play side stage, Rock and Ring. And then the whole fucking Saxon entourage comes right huh. up. And we were we were booked to do a tour with Saxon and Motorhead um, in like three months. I had never met Biff. So I, I met him side stage watching Metallica. And he's like, oh, we're going to be working together. Yeah, great. Nice. And then we're both watching. And I'm, I'm just thinking, well, as I'm watching Metallica, I'm like, this is fucking amazing. <laughs> so, yeah, it's... Um, and then there's times where, I don't know, like not Saxon, but but when you when you go to these festivals, especially if you love a band so much like Metallica, who are so big that everybody wants to see them. Mm-hmm. I I feel this thing. Do you feel this thing where you you claim ownership on them almost? Going, why do you have a better spot to watch <laughs> the band? I've been. I know these guys since I was 14. Yeah. Like, you know, do you feel that as well? Like, do you feel that kind of like that yeah. old kind of thing kicks in again when you're, when you're, when you're out watching something like Metallica? Yeah, I definitely felt like pretty privileged, especially at that show in Switzerland that I, Metallica, they're, they, you know, they're the biggest metal band in the world. One of, one of the biggest rock bands in the world, yeah. you know, just history of all time. Yeah. Just to broaden the genre there. But, yeah. uh, yeah, like I'm, for one, I'm I'm Canadian. I'm from Vancouver, and I'm in Switzerland, yeah. of all places, in front of fifty thousand people. Uh, well, not in front of, but I'm yeah. I've got a way better spot. I'm way closer than anybody out in the crowd watching this, and only because my band is playing. It's awesome. A smaller though. stage at a way worse time slot <laughs> at this festival. Like somehow I caught a break along the way where. I got to be oh, where so you, I am. Oh, okay. So you got a good slot. See, I've been in the position where I'm, I've been way out in the back. Uh-huh. And I'm like, fuck. Well, that doesn't normally happen. <laughs> I just kind of lucked out. Like me and uh, uh, me and a couple of people were just like, hey, let's go, uh, let's go check out Motorhead. And then uh, they're they're they were just kind of in their last few songs. So we just kind of stood in the side, and they're like, okay, Metallica's on next. And we're just like thinking, let's just stick around and wait. <laughs> see if they kick us out of here because yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe they will um and then they and then kind of people stagehands production people were just kind of like, 
hey, can you guys uh, just here go up those stairs to that like viewing area there and you know this and we're like okay sure so we just hung out there for like an hour for the waiting for them to set up but we were like all right this is awesome we're just we're gonna watch metallica from up here Your Rush cover band. Oh, yeah. Xana Dudes. Xana Dudes, which is the best name for a Rush cover band ever. I'm not sure who thought of it, but it's basically all of us in Three Inches of Blood. We oh, all, okay. We all did that. We all kind of talked about doing it one day, and then... Uh, and you can hit those You can hit those Getty notes. Yeah, sort of. I, I've, I've watched some... Like, a buddy of mine filmed our last show, and I've watched a little bit of it, and I'm like, hmm... You know, I, I'm very critical of myself, so maybe it was a bad monitor mix or whatever. But I think I could have done a little better. Were you doing but it's fun. bass like, as well? No. <laughs> I, I used to be a bass player, but I haven't really played bass in a long time. So we actually have, there's five of us. So uh, there's three guys doing Getty's <laughs> stuff. Like we have uh, Justin, who plays guitar. He's actually doing keyboards. And our set isn't to the point where we have a lot of, Rush songs that incorporate keyboards, so right. half the set he's kind of off off the stage so far. Right. It's like the earlier. Yeah, well, we, we kind of cover from like everything up to like moving pictures, moving picture, right? Um, but we only have because we only played three shows. We've only done like a few like 30, 40 minute sets, right? But uh, forty minutes of Rush covers, yeah, it's pretty hard, man. Uh, it's yeah, it's it seems to go by really quickly when you're at when you actually play the show. Right. But it, it just sort of started with we did a couple of benefit shows and um and just like, hey, we're gonna do this benefit show. Do we wanna it was all gonna be all cover bands and so we said, Hey, we'll do the rush cover band. You guys should you guys should tour with Bat Sabbath. You know, we've talked about doing more more Xanadu stuff, and that actually be kind of cool idea. I'm gonna put it out there on the podcast. Those guys did like a whole tour where they did one Cancer Bat set and then one, uh, a Bat Sabbath set. You should do Xanadu out with Bat Sabbath, huh. and then That's an um, idea. And then uh, we'll come out as Glenn Danko. <laughs> <laughs> that would have, be. Have you guys? Uh, um, da- we're just we did on this tour we've done uh die my darling oh yeah but we're not i don't know if we're gonna do it tonight mm-hmm. but it's in there we could do it at the drop of a hat but yeah. i don't know no i would love to i've been been talking about it for years about wanting to do like a danzig legacy like cover band yeah because no one's really ever done that no. I mean, there's tons of Misfits cover bands out there. Yeah, it's like a dime a dozen. But to do the, like, you just drop a Sam Hain one and a Danzig mm-hmm. one, then go back to the Misfits, would be awesome. Yeah. A, a buddy of mine years ago had this idea to have a karaoke night where it was you could only do Danzig songs. Oh. <laughs> I'd be there all night. And it's just going to be called Danzig, Danzig, Danzig. And you could only pick Danzig songs. Not even Misfits. Like, maybe some Sam Hain, but no Misfits. You had to do Danzig. Um, and uh, he was gonna save uh, uh, Devil's Plaything for me, but it never, it never transpired. So. Well, uh, I learned we had to do an acoustic session in Saskatoon, and I, in the back of my my back pocket, I had readied 
uh, I'm the One, which I did on Classic Rock Radio in the UK, mm-hmm. and Blood and Tears. I had that ready. I didn't do it, but I had it ready. Just in case, you know, come on and do another, and then we're like all out of songs. Um, or if, you know, the drum kit falls apart, I'm fucking ready yeah. at the drop of a hat. But, uh, uh, yeah, I would, I would say we'll open, and then I guess they're more established. They've done full tours. Yeah. Then it's you guys, and then it's Bat Sabbath. Well, we've also talked about expanding and not solely doing Rush songs as well. We, we've talked about doing, like, mixing. Triumph? Um, well, I think, like, Uriah Heap was in the oh, Deep okay. Purple stuff was kind of oh, thrown see, in right, there. Right. Really getting incorporating the keyboards. Right. Um, but, you know, we'll see where it goes. Why, if you really want to incorporate the keyboards for Xanadudes, why don't you just go from fucking Grace Under Pressure... All the way through power window. Do like a power windows. We're not opposed to doing that. Like we're not. That's going deep. We're not embarrassed of, or we're not. uh, You know, some people are like, oh, I don't like the, you know, '80s like Rush. But, you know, the the more you listen to it, and the more, the more of a Rush fan you are, you really like find an appreciation for some of that. I mean, yeah, time stands still. Yeah, why not? We throw that in. Is that the one with Grace Amy Mann? Yeah. Uh, but yeah. I'll do Amy Mann. But Grace, <laughs> okay. But Grace <laughs> Under Pressure, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that. So songs we, we definitely play off of. I love that album. Like Red Sector A. And I love that whole album. Distant Early Warning. Yeah. I'll be Amy Mann if you guys need a someone to... Another voice. Okay. On there. <laughs> but uh, oh, that's cool. Um... Cam, thanks a lot. I got to go do sound check, yeah, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Uh, it's great that you ran. Are you coming to the show tonight? Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Okay, well, we'll see you there. And uh, thanks, man. Thanks for doing this. Long time coming. Thanks for having me. Glad to do it.